Hello and welcome to Prototype and See, a brand new podcast for designers, engineers and innovators all about the product development journey. My name is James Murphy, co-founder of HLH, one of the world's leading manufacturers of prototypes and low volume production parts. I've been in this industry for nearly 20 years, but I feel there's still a great deal about our customers that I don't yet understand. So in Prototype and See, I'm going to be sitting down with some of the world's most innovative companies, talking to designers and engineers all about the successes and failures, the ups and downs of bringing new products to market. On today's episode, we're privileged to have with us Gethin Roberts of Iterate UK. Welcome. Hi, James. Thank you for coming on. No problem. Okay. Um, I mean, first off, please just like tell us a bit about yourself and yeah, about okay. Iterate, what, what what you're all about. Okay. So, yeah. So, I'm Gethin. I'm, I'm the managing director of Iterate, and we're a product development consultancy. So, we are working with startups, individuals, and in some cases, established businesses to help them take a new product idea from, from a concept right the way through to production. Um, I think more recently, we're kind of working in the medical space, um, but not exclusively. We, you know, over the years, we've, we've, we've developed consumer products, technologies, industrial products, all kinds of things, really. Um, but it's that, that full development process that we offer our clients. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just, that's, that's iterate. Okay. Is there any like one type of product or one industry that you you kind of prefer working with? Like, is you say you you do it recently? You're doing a lot of medical, yeah. but uh, good question. I wouldn't say it's sector specific. I think that we like to work on projects that are kind of purposeful, purpose driven, and that are actually going to have some kind of impact. You know, and so whether it's medical and that's a very good kind of outlet for being able to create products that, you know, actually have have meaningful benefits to the user because, you know, in, in many cases it's helping diagnose or solve a medical condition. Um, but even consumer products that, you know, helps people live a better life or do something more productively, you know, more efficiently and just for it to actually, you know, improve people's experiences whether that be through the user interaction or you know even in some cases that it's uh more accessible or affordable for it to 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 buy a particular product or maybe you know the materials that it's made from are more sustainable and people see a lot of value in in that as well so i think that not not necessarily sector specific but we do enjoy working on projects that do have a kind of a wider benefit okay uh, to them okay and is is any easier than than the other? Like medical must be quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. In terms of difficulty, so you know, I think with with medical products, there's always the regulatory challenges that you have to go through, and that kind of extends the timeline a, a lot of the time. But you know, e- even that said, you, we've worked on very simple medical products in terms of the the design requirements and technical challenges involved in those. Uh, and kind of by contrast, we've worked on some consumer-related products that you know have been really technically challenging. Um, are you able to give us any example? Like, are you able to talk about anything? What in terms of in terms of the te- some of the technical challenges? That, yeah. Or, yeah. Or what what we've kind of found. Um, so, so I think that what we what we always try and do is if we if we see a hugely technically challenging project um 
and the, you know maybe this many there's lots of different risks many unknowns you know from the outset then typically what we would do is a package of technical feasibility so a piece of work to try and understand more about what those te- technical challenges specifically are likely to be and so you know that can be really dig- digging deep down into some of the competitors understanding how the competitors products work to try and get that knowledge and transfer that over um, is that something that you're able to do like completely in-house or do you need to work with uh, other other partners outside yeah good question so in terms of if if it's mechanical challenges, then yes, we can do that solely in house. You know, when you're when there's big electronic challenges, our electronic capability in house is much much smaller. That's one of our kind of less specialist areas. So in those instances, we would collaborate with a with a partner then to be able to help kind of deliver the whole project. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of kind of assessing how difficult a project's likely to be, as I say, if there's if it, if if we see that it's going to be problematic then we kind of do as much as we can up front to kind of de-risk that project before kind of taking on the wider the wider development of that okay Uh, have you ever seen a a project um that somebody's come to you with that has been like so challenging technically that it's 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 put you off definitely yeah definitely because you know i think that you know we are solid design engineers and i think that you know, sometimes people come to us with... So one example, uh, and this is kind of to illustrate the point, you know, there was a client that wanted to create a car turntable, you know, so you drive up okay. to the drive and you can you park your car and then it spins spins around and then, you, you know, t- turns your car around so you can drive yeah. out the other way. And so the, their, their angle was that they thought there was a gap in the market for something which was like a low-cost version of right. doing this. Right, right. And well, why, why would you want one of those? <laughs> well, yeah. well, if you live in if you live in a city or something, and you've got too much money to spend, you know, and you've got like a compact space, it could be handy. Okay, yeah, you I know? suppose so. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> so they, you know, something like this is, you know, just immediately I can say there's going to be some technical challenges there in actually getting something like that to market because we've got no prior knowledge of developing something like that mm, in the first mm. instance it's going to be really difficult for us to prototype something like that yeah. and test it yeah. you know we haven't got the facility at that kind of scale to be able to create something and so you know that that's the kind of project where there's there's red flags in it that you look yeah. at it and think no this this you know this is too much for us to be able to take on right you know we typically say you know if you can't fit it on a desk just as like a basic rule of thumb yeah. Then we're probably not the right people to be working on that particular project. Okay. But it's okay. not just about size, you know. There's all, there's all kind of factors that kind of play into that. Then. Yeah. And uh, do you see a lot of people coming to you with ideas which are, are are not realistic? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Um, so I think that realistic for a few different reasons. So realistic because okay, technically it might not be possible to to do that. That's one thing. Realistic in the sense that. You know, they might not have the the budget to be able to take it all of the way. Realistic as well in terms of okay, they're they're all meant there already maybe some competitors out there or intellectual property that already exists that actually stops them from doing what they're suggesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that I'd probably say maybe a good fifty percent of the people that we talk to are unrealistic about what you know, what what they can achieve. What really. they can achieve, yeah. From it. 
Yeah, I think that leads us on to something we were going to talk about today, which is your kind of top three myths about product development. Yeah. And uh, the, the number one was uh, all you need is an idea. Yeah. And I think that is a misconception that a lot of people have. You, all you need is a good idea and you're away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so can you talk to us a little bit about... Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, it, a lot of the time people, I, th- I find that people have kind of like a new experience in their life and then that kind of sparks an idea. So mm. COVID was interesting because everybody was experiencing like a, a massive change in their lifestyle all at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so it was amazing how we got loads of inquiries for products related to home working because right. everyone was home working. Yeah. Yeah. Products related to like different ways of cleaning surfaces because everyone was conscious of that. And, yeah. and also fitness related products as well. And so we were just overwhelmed with inquiries in this sort of space that we hadn't really seen as such a trend all at the same time. So I think often it's it's a change in circumstance or experience that makes people think, ah, there's, an, there's a new idea yeah. for something. Yeah. And often then people do a bit of research and then they find, okay, they, there could be a gap in the market and you need to question why, why that is. Um, but I'd forgotten the question, the original question. That you- uh, it was just about like the fact that people sometimes think that all they need is a good idea and, and they don't really understand the intricacies yeah. involved and the process of actually developing a, a saleable product. So, so, so as I say, the, the the change in experience kind of sparks that, but often it's, you know, it's often people are coming to us that have got no exposure to product development. Yeah. You know, you see, you see a, a new kettle or an iron or what, whatever yeah. that may be in the shop, but there's there's very little visibility as to how that actually yeah, got, there and got there and the yeah. journey, the, you know, the journey that that took, um, because day to day people don't really get exposed to that kind of yeah. thing it's kind of just it just gets there doesn't it you know a lot of people seem to think but yeah. um so when you start to explain well actually you know we need to go through this process of understanding the technical challenges understanding the competitors creating the cad models testing it prototyping it preparing for manufacture you know it becomes like wow i didn't didn't know yeah, this. yeah i didn't understand didn't, yeah i mean it's quite heartening in, in, in a sense like you, you're saying after covid or during covid you had like loads of people coming to you with with ideas for new products around home working because i mean the uk is often considered to to be not very entrepreneurial i think oh, right okay i i i, I think okay Do you, you disagree um so so uh, i don't know i think that you've probably got more of a global perspective than i have but i speak to certainly people in europe and they'll say it's really difficult to set up a business in france or yeah it's really difficult yeah to set up the, a business the uk in has that in its in its favor i think we do have a uh, quite a uh it's, e- it's easy to set up a company here so i've certainly met people from like italy or, or france and they move over here okay. just because it's much easier to set yeah. a company up here. Yeah. But I think as a nation, I mean, the impression I get is that we're not very, we're, we're happier working for somebody else. Okay. I, that's the impression I get. So yeah. it's quite heartening to hear you say that there's there's all these people out there with with ideas, even if some of them are not, are not, like ready to be developed into a viable business it's it makes me feel good that the, there are people out there thinking up 
new things to do. So I was looking at, uh, and I, I don't want to quote any specific statistics, so I'll probably be wrong, but uh, a couple of years ago, looking at the intellectual property, so patents filed. Yeah. And I think that Italy was one of the highest countries in new IP filed, which is really interesting. And then you kind of look at, well, this the kind of government support systems, and there's lots of government R&D funds available in Italy. Yeah. And that that is the case in the UK as well. You know, it yeah. is competitive to be able to access um, funds from, from Innovate UK and, you know, g- government generally. Uh, but there is there is a wealth of support for businesses that you know either kind of in the startup stages, but certainly more established businesses to develop new products. I think I think I saw on your website that you guys work with the Welsh government we do, to yeah. fund, or you have funding available so that you can go into businesses in Wales and and help them. Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so so that that's a really interesting example. So. Um, Welsh government runs something called Smart Productivity and Design, um, and it's uh, the way that we work with them is that we're able to uh, engage a company. Typically, the, the company needs to have more than ten employees, um, but we can support them for a period of up to eight days to deliver a package of design or manufacturing support, and that can kind of be um, at any stage in the development cycle. So, you know, if a company needs some. Um, support with some research, technical research, or competitor research potentially, uh, or maybe some concept design or um, supplier identification, then we're able to deliver that support to them. It's free of charge to the company because um, it's meant to be a kind of catalyst for innovation. Okay. Okay. Um, and, bec- you know, it's, it's only eight days, so the kind of the forms and the bureaucracy around it is very, very lean. And so we're in, we do a piece of work, we're out and we're, we're meant to, you know, kind of encourage companies to develop new products and improve their manufacturing processes and eventually create jobs okay. you know, within the have you, have you done much of that? Have yeah, been, loads. Yeah, yeah. yeah, loads. So we've been, we've, so because it's a public contract, you have to tender for it uh, every sort of two to three years. So we've been working with Welsh government nearly for about eight or nine years. So we've been successful in renewing our contract with them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, I find it very rewarding because I'm from Wales originally yeah. and you kind of get exposed to what's on your doorstep and there's yeah. a huge amount of industry in South Wales and North Wales in particular yeah. and, you know, it's fantastic to see the full range of companies from you know, automotive, aerospace, medical. So Yeah, I think there is quite quite a lot of high-tech manufacturing, more than you'd think done in Wales. I, certain, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think so. Um uh, yeah, I think, you know, what we realize is that we do need to compete with uh, some of the other nations and by introducing technologies into these companies so that, you know, you remove labor um, is a good way. So lots of the companies that I've certainly been to see, if they are an injection mold facility, for example, you know, there's very few people working on the line. It's it's all automated. All automated, you know? yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got a bit of a soft spot in my heart for Wales. Like my mum's Welsh. Okay, she is from cool. uh, Milford Haven. Oh right, She's, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice quite area. nice down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice area. It is, yeah. So, so I like to I like to hear uh, things are going well in Wales. Yeah. So how's the how's the kind of startup scene in Wales? Like, is there is there much of one or there is? Yeah, there is. Um, you know, in terms of the support that I was talking about, there's kind of different levels of support for startup businesses, but 
you know, uh, it feels like there's, yeah, there's lots of people that have got new ideas and kind of want to be able to create their own businesses. There's lots of um, like incubation centers, which I think we're probably seeing more and more of that over the over the UK where you can do hot desking and kind yeah. of meet with like-minded people. Um, that's the kind of thing that I used to do in the earlier days. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of those kind of centers and kind of movements, if you can call it that, in, yeah, in Wales. Yeah. And most of the people that you work with, are they in Wales or all around the country, or all around the world? Or? Uh, so I would say 50% are Welsh and then probably the other 50% generally tend to be in London. Right. Um, right. So it's those it's those two areas. And yeah, the, so the, the people that we work with in London, it's an, there's an interesting profile of person actually that often it's somebody that has you know that generally have got money to spend um they may be doing a a particular day job so there's lots of people that we work with that are are in finance right and you know they're kind of um trying to get out trying to get out yeah (laughs) Yeah. trying to get do something different do something a bit tan a bit more tangible you know rather than looking at spreadsheets and stuff so um yeah we we work with a lot of that kind of uh, that kind of person or client and you know what we find is that it, people that have got commercial experience then when they kind of apply it to running a product development project you know it, it makes the world of difference yeah yeah they've they've kind of got an idea about the business side of things absolutely. so they can see that it's a viable like concern going product absolutely yeah they just need your help with the the design, the uh-huh. technical side of things. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's kind of your perfect. They've got money. Yep. Yeah. They know how to run a business, but they need help with with the the design and development. Absolutely. Side yeah. Yes. Yes. Probably our ideal, ideal client. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you. You. Uh, when we were just talking about um, all you need is an idea. Your. Yep. Your. Your myth number one. You. You mentioned uh, patents, uh-huh. and that's uh, myth number two. I believe um, that a patent is essential. Yes. Um, you don't think so? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's essential, but it really depends on what your intent is. So a couple of different scenarios, maybe, for example, you know, if you're, if you're a medical business and, you know, you want to scale this company and then eventually you want to exit in maybe five or ten years' time, get some venture capital money into the company to to help with that journey then i'd suggest that patents are critical and kind of almost getting those sooner is is a good thing because you can use that as you know collateral really to be able to to raise the money and progress the journey so in those kind of instances you know a, a patent is important but i think that lots of people that we talk to think that they have to have a patent to be able mm. to take their product. I mean, to they're very expensive. They can be, yeah, yeah, they can be. And the problem with that, though, is that you know, if you <clears throat> if you think that you need a patent, well, actually, you know, there may not be too much value in doing that. That you spend, I don't know, ten, twenty grand getting a yeah. patent that could be spent on design and getting your product to market quicker. Yeah, you know, because there's, I think that people don't really appreciate the value in like being the, the first to market often. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so if if you have got a really innovative idea, you know, if the sooner you can get that to market, then you can start to secure that 
that following and that brand loyalty. And then, you know, it may not even be that first product that you really make the money from. It's your second, it's your third, it's your fourth, but you've kind of got that captive audience then. Mm. And, you know, you may want to, you may want to get patents for some of the other products later on down the line, but yeah. So I think it it really depends on, you know, why you wanting to get a product to market in the first place and what your kind of business objectives are really longer term for, yeah. for what you're and, and that side of things, is that something that you get involved in or not? Like, um, kind of, yeah. You, you, you can help people out with patents and funding and, and things like that. Or? So, so with patents, we so we haven't got any uh, patent attorneys in house. Um, you know, we're, we're solely a design consultancy, but there are a number of people that you know when our clients comes to us and say, you know, we want to file an IP, and we refer them on to a couple of people, uh, and that works very well because you know we can re- retain the specialism in our area, mm. and they can be specialists in their area. Yeah, yeah. So that's and, and does it work the other way? Like you have uh, those people does, introducing yeah. clients yeah. to you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the value of value of the network because you know there's often there's 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 a number of different kind of organisations that we would interact with along the supply chain, whether that be outsourcing prototypes or manufacturing suppliers. That you know, when you develop the relationships with people, that there is that kind of cross referral mm-hmm. of customers mm-hmm. naturally. I think. Okay, and what about software? Do you guys get involved with that much or uh, software development? Yeah, so that that runs alongside the products that you're you're developing. So software. Uh, so I would no, not in house. So as I was saying earlier, so if we're creating a a product that's got electronics inside it, and maybe it's got like a touchscreen display and some embedded embedded software on it, then. Um, we would work with a specialist to be able to kind of complement what we're doing and kind of deliver the full solution to the client. But I think because of you know the majority of the products that we're developing, either the client has you know they may, may have that expertise themselves, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're we're doing the rest of it. And where they haven't, then we can kind of you know sort of right. collaborate with other people then to, to deliver the full yeah. product okay okay all right and then uh myth myth number three is that uh you you must manufacture in in china okay now, yeah uh obviously th- this one again is uh close to my heart yeah because uh obviously uh our factory is based in china but uh where do you stand on, on this one? um again you know it depends on what your objectives are because i think they so the the, the go to was to manufacture the product in you know the final product in china because it was the the cheapest way of doing mm. that but uh, that's that's not necessarily the case though is it I don't, anymore um well i think lots of things have kind of more recently played into that and so you know COVID has obviously been a big catalyst and also Brexit and things like, you know, the fluctuation in currency and, you know, shipping costs as well have just gone through the roof, but they seem to be coming back down. It's, you know, that all impacts on the final cost of doing it. And so when you look at the bigger picture, then often manufacturing China then doesn't, you know, doesn't look like the the best solution for you. But I think, you know, it's it's volume dependent as well. Mm, You know, mm. if you want, handful if you want a dozen of something made then you know maybe the uk is the best thing to Uh do but if Uh you if you want to drive down the unit price then china is a really good option yeah and you help your clients through right through to manufacturing and finding suppliers for their for their products Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah based on the 
what they're looking to where yeah. they where they're looking to manufacture. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, you know we've got some really good partners that we work with in China um, and also in the UK as well. But it, it really depends, you know, what the client is looking for because mm. there are instances where the client does see value in manufacturing in the UK because of you know, because of things like protecting against risk of shipping and currency and things. Um, and also, you know, there is a little bit of concern about resilience of supply chains yeah, now. Yeah, that definitely came to the fore during COVID, didn't did. it? Yeah, it I mean, so, some things like at the time, I just couldn't get my head around it. It's like allowing other countries to make all of your kind of medicines. Yeah. They're just, just ridiculous, really. Like, um, So, yeah, I think that was definitely... Uh, something that that they had to have a long think about wasn't it yeah 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 you need you need to do some things yourself don't you i think it's yeah, yeah it seems but <laughs> i i don't think we'd ever kind of considered the scale of covid you no, know no no well it was a shock it was a shock but i mean they they had done a like a uh like a, a trial run, hadn't okay. they based on the flu or something right okay they based it on so they had like a a uh a uh, what would you call it? Okay, well, a trial run. We'll just call it that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, so that. they weren't they weren't like completely like square one kind of. Uh -huh. They 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 had plans in place. Uh -huh. Yeah, but yeah, it was a shock. It was a shock. Yeah, but it it worked out okay for you guys. Lots of lots of business. Yeah. So we we were fine throughout COVID um, because um, you know we we were helping businesses with so there was there was a few different things going on in the uk around about that time so um you know people were having to quickly set up production for products that were previously manufactured in china and so we were involved in a few of those projects there were uh so, so there was reshoring of some tooling and that, that kind of thing uh, as well and um as i mentioned you know, there was lots of new product inquiries that people kind of jumping on as a result of as a mm, result of the COVID. changes yeah so you know lots of ppe projects we were mm. involved in around that kind of time so that kind of kept us busy um but there's been some interesting changes as a result of covid where you know, the, the the labor market is very strange at the moment in the UK. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Unusual yeah. because yeah. we've got less less labor, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Um, now lots of people have retired, switched disciplines. You know, I think COVID yeah. kind of made people reflect a lot. Yeah. So what, during COVID, you, you said a lot of people were coming to you with ideas for different products around home working. Mm. Uh, what about like today? Like what are what are the trends you're seeing at the minute? A good question. Trends. Um, so I think that there's a few trends, you know, so things like uh, Bitcoin, NFTs, AI are all hot topics. Yeah. You know, and obviously you know, lots of those things are kind of software based, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to see how that is being impacted on the product design sector where okay you know you've got a you've got an nft but then actually does that create a, an opportunity for a new product uh -huh. and there's a couple of things that i probably can't talk about on this but that is happening right, right now where right. where these there there are opportunities for new hard hardware, hardware 
products. Yeah. Um, Based around those technologies. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. So that's interesting. Particularly AI, you know, is going to be exciting to see uh -huh. how that kind of plays out, really. And are you guys using that in-house in your design development process so, already you evaluating it you're looking at it yeah so, so i'd say evaluating it's probably a good word okay. yeah because i think that you know there's there's a, a couple of groups of people where you know they think okay this is not going to impact our industry you know yeah. kind of got those sorts of people and yeah. uh okay well it's not going to be in our lifetime or yeah you know it's it's it's, it's really not for us you've got you've got that kind of attitude but i uh -huh. think the reality of it is it's happening fast it is yeah <laughs> nobody yeah. really knows at the moment how it's going to impact product design it will yeah, yeah. and i but i i think that we if we just figure out how we leverage that you know it's not going to take our jobs overnight but it will certainly change our jobs yeah i, I think, think yeah certainly change them like you say yeah, yeah. Um, it, at the minute it can do some things but it can't, it can't do others like the actual mechanical design elements yes. it's it's gonna well it's years away from doing that i think isn't it but uh -huh. but the the aesthetics there are already like my brother he keeps showing me this uh app i can't remember what it's called but you, you like you type in like uh S tim burton sneakers okay and then it gives you like within two seconds it's got like 12 different sneaker design Fantastic. trainer designs for like based on tim burton films Fantastic. and they all look amazing yeah yeah so i mean that is like dangerous for a lot <laughs> of people i think I yeah think, i think ai is the the jobs that it's potentially going to replace are ones that have often been considered safe uh -huh. like well-educated yes yeah yeah like high earning jobs yeah yeah so i mean it's it's going to be interesting I it think, will isn't it? Yeah. it will but i think the key to it is <laughs> not to be scared of it yeah well there's no point is there yeah yeah it's happening yeah it's happening there's no <laughs> point being scared of it yeah you can't you can't do anything about it really but i did i heard somebody <laughs> comparing it to okay you know ai is likely to be you know, the equivalent of how the internet was to maybe our I think, yeah i think it's different know. i think it's different. oh really yeah okay. i think it's different okay. yeah yeah I, I i see it very very differently okay yeah. cool i think the internet created so but i mean it's 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 easy for me to sit here and say that now because it's like obviously benefit of hindsight like we can all see that it has created lots lots more kind of jobs and opportunities but i think it created a more connected world so once we had that then lots and lots of uh opportunities for talking to people in different countries mm -hmm. like um trade um were, were, were created but i think ai is the way i see it going is it's going to enable less people to do more yeah okay so what about all of the other people that used to be required uh -huh. to do something uh -huh. do you know what i mean yeah do you get do you get where i'm yeah, going yeah so it's gonna, it is going to be huge displacement isn't yeah, it it's going to be like concentrations of like wealth and power and authority okay rather than like uh yeah, more distributed yeah, more distributed that's the way i see it but i mean that's that's quite a pessimistic view of it i think i mean well, it might not go that way i think it's exciting <laughs> yeah you know? yeah well it is it is yeah yeah i do i do worry a little bit for my children though i don't yeah. know what they're gonna do when they get older it's like 
because the the school, what they teach them in schools, it's like what's a lot of it is just irrelevant. Like now, yeah, it's like there's no point uh-huh. learning that almost. But then I think they haven't really because it's so fast. Uh-huh. They haven't got round to kind of rethinking education, right. and obviously it's such a a difficult thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I worry a little bit for my children. Yeah. I think, I, so I've got I've got two kids as well, and you know I, I I kind of share that concern, but I think that what school still does is you know it'll teach discipline. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it'll teach confidence, social skills, exactly. soft skills, things exactly. like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're still getting that side of things, but yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I would prefer it if they focused a little bit more on that side of things. Okay. Yeah, and and had less kind of academic, right? Like more sports, yeah. More art, more, more of those kind of soft uh-huh. like team building and and more play. But that's just me. Like, it sounds. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I think. AI. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're not scared. That's I, good. I'm that's not scared. Good. I'm not scared because I, you know, I, I, I'd like to position Iterate as being, you know, one of those businesses that is uh, helping our customers to leverage AI mm, through mm. better product design. Really. Yeah, yeah. So I think that you, you, you can't you can't turn your back on it. No. And what about things like generative design and, and yep. stuff like? Have you got involved much with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we we've got a good relationship with Autodesk. Um, we use uh, Autodesk Fusion three hundred and sixty as one of yeah. our, 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 our well, it's a, it's our nominated CAD package. And so yeah, the generative design function in there is is very very powerful. Um, do we, you use it much though? Do you see much um, applications for it? So I think there is huge application for it. Um, but we we haven't leveraged it on all of our projects. Yeah. Only only a couple. I'd like for us to be using it more. To be yeah. honest, yeah. I mean the the things that I've seen, it's like automotive or kind of um, high performance mm-hmm. bikes, mm-hmm. cycles, mountain bikes, or aerospace. Yes. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, I'm sure there must be, but I can't see how it's going to help, like designing a new speaker uh-huh. for example or a new pair of headphones or uh-huh. something like that i mean is that what you found like it's quite industry specific generative design? yeah so i think this is this is an interesting topic because i think at the moment generative design it works really well if you're um using additive as yeah, the production yeah, method yeah. for that part uh-huh. so if you've got something that you know uh isn't necessarily aesthetic yeah but it's got a mechanical or load bearing requirement and the intent is that you will manufacture it in volume using you know uh sls or sla Uh then i think it's very good for that yeah i mean that's what we've seen so so far yeah and it just so happens that i think you know aerospace and automotive are very uh kind of it's weight critical yeah yeah they need they need to reduce weight and they they understand exactly like the loads and and all of the other kind of constraints that they need mm-hmm. to work within yeah mm-hmm. so but but i think that it's, it's interesting because okay if it if it plays into additive manufacturing really well at the moment you know when additive further improves from where it is at the minute then you know we're probably going to be a position where we will be using generative design more and more because additive manufacturing is kind of the needle on moving closer to 
being able to use that as a production method is just yeah. getting it's getting yeah i mean we, we already use it i mean well not us but for for our clients there are quite a lot of projects where okay. people are using 3d printing for manufacture manufacturing yeah and, and in quite high volumes as well okay yeah, really high, high volumes yeah yeah i love that yeah i lo- yeah. I, I, I love i love that yeah because it's kind of like that's something that i've seen in my lifetime that there's there's that massive change and i think that um some of our clients have used it to to really good effect where you know they um they've got high value product um okay it, it's in some instances making tens or hundreds of that and um being able to um listen to what the market thinks about that product make changes and then release a version two yeah, version yeah, three yeah, version very four. very quickly yeah yeah very very quickly then yeah. that 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 that's exciting. So the some class customers have have l- just leveraged it really well and are just constantly upgrading their their product. You know, so it's, yeah. it's yeah. very good. Okay, um, I believe you also uh, recently wrote wrote a book. Yeah. Uh, how how did that come about? Well, so it came about because we we just get so many calls from people that. Uh, ask the same questions so they'll say well you know what's the design process um what do i need to think about intellectual property how much money do i need to develop the product and all of these common things that you do need to consider up front but um i found myself having the same conversations with people a lot of the time and so i thought right if i put all of this information in a book then i can just say you know, you've, you, these are all valid questions. If you read this, it probably have a lot of answers answer, for quite you. A lot of those, yeah. And let's pick up the conversation then after that, really. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's kind of why I did it. Okay. Uh, and if we wanted to read the book, yep. Where would we go to? Uh, so you can get it uh, on Amazon. Okay. Um, you can buy it directly from the publisher. It's available in Waterstones, which is a really good achievement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. Yeah. Go in there, see it yeah, on the shelf. That's quite is, nice. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, you know, it's available in most English-speaking countries as well. So, New Zealand, Australia, Malaysia as well. Um, so, uh, so, so it's quite interesting to see. So, we use TikTok to uh, publicise the book, and so to be able to see what that engagement looks like, um, and to see the countries that are interested in that yeah. kind of content related yeah. to product development is quite quite insightful. Uh, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, good. Thanks, James. Roberts, um, Iterate UK. Uh, If you want to understand a little bit more about how Gethin and his team could help you out, uh, jump on his website, www.iterate-uk.com. That's it. Um, Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you to the listeners, too, for tuning in. Um, Be sure to like, follow, um, subscribe, whatever you need to do to make sure you don't miss the next episode of Prototype and See. Thank you. Bye bye. Very good. Very good. Yeah, Yeah, good. (laughs) Happy with that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Enjoyed it? That was good. That was good fun. Whether you're working on your first product or your 10th, you've got the Prototype and See podcast to back you up through your product development journey. Follow, subscribe, and tune in for our next episode. We can't wait to see where your prototype takes you.